Dr. Anna Lemke is a psychiatrist, author, and professor at Stanford University. So Anna, whenever you're ready, um, feel free to get started. I'm really excited about this one. This kind of very highly evolutionarily conserved neurobiological mechanism that works so well in a world of scarcity and ever-present danger is really terrible for the world that we have created in about the past 200 to 300 years, which is a world of overwhelming abundance, increasing dispensable income, and increasing amounts of leisure time, not just on any given day, but actually our total number of days because we're living longer than ever. Um, and we now live in this world in which we have the four ingredients that make something potentially very addictive, which are access, quantity, potency, and novelty. So access, it's very clear that with our smartphones, we have 24-7 access, not just to traditional drugs, which we can order like a pizza, but also drugs that didn't exist before, like social media, like online pornography, like video games, like online shopping, all the content online, which really has been very engineered uh, to you know, keep us clicking and swiping, and which has been shown to light up the reward centers of our brain. The screen itself, believe it or not, is reinforcing almost like a primitive day fire where we're drawn to just that flickering light independent uh, of the content that we get from that light. So we have this incredible access. We have this incredible quantity. Again, think about those gremlins and how if you run out of your drug, whether it's alcohol or pot or cocaine, that might potentially leave enough time for those gremlins to hop off in between and for balance to be restored, which might prevent you from getting out of that you know, war with your gremlins where you accumulate them on the pain side and you end up in that dopamine deficit state. But now we're living in a time and place where, where we have such access to such quantity for relatively little money that typically it's very easy to keep going. Furthermore, when you think about digital products, uh, you know, whether it's YouTube or TikTok, TikTok, uh, you know, the, the supply is literally infinite. There is no running out, it's a bottomless bowl. So we've got increased access, we've got increased quantity. We've got increased potency. So if you take something like the story of opioids, right? Opioids, originally they're found in nature in the poppy plant in the form of opium. Then in the early 1800s, to, uh, morphine was, uh, was detected as a way to start with the poppy plant and make a more potent form of opioids in the form of morphine. Then you accelerate to the late 1800s and then there's the discovery of heroin, which is a diacetylated morphine, acetyl, two acetyl groups added to morphine, which is then you know, even potentially uh, easier to make, more accessible, more available. Fast forward all the way to the present day, fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin. And it's made in a laboratory without even needing the poppy precursor cheaply, easily, right? So our technology has accelerated opioids from this, you know, pretty potent thing that we got from a plant to this incredibly potent and lethal substance that we don't even need the plant for. We can make it in a laboratory. And that kind of mirrors the trajectory of almost all intoxicants uh, that humans have been using for centuries. Plus, of course, we have 
new drugs that didn't exist before, or we have oldest drugs like pornography that you had to work kind of hard to get even in with my, within my lifetime, you know, to get a Playboy magazine. But now, you know, any five-year-old can go online and get access to pornography and it's increasingly potent. And then of course we have novelty and novelty is something that dopamine is very sensitive to. Dopamine is really about being aware of our environment, right? And making sure that we are navigating the environment. So dopamine is super sensitive to anything new in the environment. And even in terms of painful stimuli, if it's a very painful stimulus, dopamine will be released in response to that, which is why we can also kind of get addicted to the news in the form of doom scrolling, because it's the novelty, it's the treasure seeking function that has us dialing in. Uh, and that's very reinforcing for us. Plus, of course, we have these algorithms that have been engineered to learn us, um, you know, whether it's a social media algorithm or really anything that we do online that creates a footprint uh, that is about keep, keeping us engaged, keeping us clicking and swiping um, so that we will buy more products, right? It's all about the advertisements. And in order to be able to show us advertisements, they have to learn what we like. But the result is really that we're constantly being offered on this platter things that, uh, you know, these algorithms know that we've clicked on and spent time with before. And now they offer us something similar, but just a little bit different, something new. And of course, that newness is what then hooks us. Oh, maybe this is going to be like that last uh, Dr. Pimple Popper video that I watched, but a little bit different and maybe a little bit more exciting. And that that's kind of got us engaged. So um, this is a really hard world to live in because um, it's a world in which we're constantly being invited to consume, where it's not even just, um, you know, that, that it's available, it's that the drugs are actually running after us um, and prompting us. And of course, what I, what I didn't tell you about, but which is part of the, uh, you know, the amazing neuroscience that, uh, that folks have tapped into is that we get a little hit of dopamine even just by being reminded of our drug. So um, for example, if you train a rat to know that when it, when it sees a light, then it goes to press a lever that it will get cocaine um, released into its system from pressing that lever after seeing the light. And then you stick a probe in the rat's brain and you measure dopamine levels. What you find is that yes, when the cocaine is delivered, there's a huge surge in dopamine. But even before the cocaine is delivered, just when the rat sees the light, there's a tiny little increase in dopamine. So we get high just thinking about our drug, anticipating it. And then that's followed by a little mini dopamine deficit state our gremlins hopping on the side of our pain balance in response to euphoric recall. So just the memory, the trigger or the internal memory, the euphoria that we get for that is then followed by a gremlin or a dopamine deficit state, which is then craving, which is that huge physiologic burden that has us working to go get the drug. And of course, we are constantly being triggered. Um, one of the interesting things that happened in my practice during COVID and sheltering in place was how many of my patients uh, in recovery from severe addiction or trying to get into recovery from severe addiction actually said that 
sheltering in place in COVID made their lives so much better because there weren't all the parties. Um, there was no going down, you know, the aisle in the grocery store with all the alcohol. Um, one of my patients even said just getting in his car was like a trigger for him because his habit had been to get in the car, to go find the drug dealer, to buy the drugs and use in the car. So just having to stay at home was actually an unburdening. Of course, there's the flip side of that too. Um, you know, COVID and sheltering in place has, has been devastating for, for many others with addiction. It's also been a time when some people who weren't addicted became addicted, right? Because of all the kind of staying at home and less access to, to other types of um, rewards, loss of structure, all of those things. But the point really is that we are now living in an, an addictogenic world. And what, I'm, what I wanna point out and highlight for you is that when you think about that dopamine deficit state and being in that state of withdrawal and how the universal symptoms of withdrawal are anxiety, irritability, insomnia, and dysphoria, I want you to think about that in light of the rising rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide all over the world in the last 30 to 50 years, okay, which are especially correlated with the socioeconomic wealth of that nation. The richer the country, the higher the rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. And this is really a paradox because we have more of all of these good things that you know any objective observer would say we want and need and which should give us pleasure. But I would contend that if you understand this through the lens of our primitive wiring, what we are seeing in terms of rising rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide is actually a result of too much dopamine. It's dopamine overload. Our brains are trying desperately to compensate for all of the pleasure that's triggering all of this dopamine in the reward pathway and doing that by accumulating these gremlins so that we are individually and collectively ending up in this dopamine deficit state and therefore um, experiencing anxiety irritability, insomnia, dysphoria, and craving. And I, I believe that, that that's true in large part because in my clinical practice, I've seen rising rates of people coming in who are desperately anxious, depressed, wanting to end their lives. This is including you know, otherwise healthy young people who have everything you could ever imagine living here in Silicon Valley and yet can barely get out of bed in the morning. And when we intervene clinically, to try to reset their reward pathways, they come out of that depression without having to prescribe an antidepressant, without psychotherapy. So I, I really, just from my clinical um, implementation, empirically clinical implementation, I, I think that this dopamine problem is really a, a problem that many of us are struggling from in the modern world. Okay, so in the last little bit, then the question is what, what do we do about it? So I think by looking at this problem through the lens of the neuroscience and also looking at how people with severe addiction have gotten into recovery in our dopamine saturated world is, um, is a way that we can, the rest of us can maybe um, learn to live better uh, in, in the world that we live in now. And there are basically three basic tools I'm going to talk about. The first is um, abstinence or a dopamine fast. And that is what I recommend to my patients, whether they're over consuming cannabis or alcohol or nicotine or pornography, gambling, social media, video games. I ask them essentially to abstain from their drug of choice for 30 days. Why 30 days? Because 30 days is typically the amount of time that people can wrap their head around 
If you ask for longer than that, it gets to be intimidating. It's also true that 30 days from a neuroscientific perspective is on average the amount of time it takes for those neuroadaptation gremlins to hop off the pain side of the balance and for homeostasis to be restored. And why is it so important to restore homeostasis? Number one, when we've restored homeostasis, we're more able to take pleasure in modest everyday rewards. We're not only focused and reorganizing our lives around our drug of choice. And number two, it's only once homeostasis is restored that we can actually look back and see the true impact of our use on our lives. When we're chasing dopamine, we're really quite blind to the true consequences of that kind of uh, sensory seeking experience. So the dopamine fast resets reward pathways, allows us to engage in more modest rewards. And, um, and also I'm just seeing the chat there. Okay. Uh, yes, longer Q&A, we will get there soon. And also allows us to have uh, insight into um, you know, the true impact of our use on our lives. The other thing is that the science, interestingly, uh, really corresponds with um, my clinical experience. Um, for example, there's a, a famous study by um, Mark Shuckett and colleagues showing that if you take a group of men who are using, adult men who are using alcohol in an addictive way, and you also find that they meet criteria for a major depressive episode using a diagnostic and statistical manual criteria. And you put those men into a hospital setting where they get no access to treatment for depression, but they also have no access to alcohol. What you find is that after 30 days, 80% of those individuals no longer meets criteria for major depression. In other words, simply stopping alcohol resolves the major depressive episode in the vast majority of those individuals. And that is very consistent with my clinical work. Also, if you look at the work of Nora Volkoff uh, and other neuroscientists who have actually looked at the brain of individuals after they stop using drugs like cocaine, cannabis, alcohol, what you find is that two weeks after stopping, they are still in a dopamine deficit state, meaning that their dopamine transmission based on fMRI and PET scans is lower than the dopamine transmission of individuals who have not been using drugs and then stop those drugs in an addictive way. So that tells us that two weeks is probably not enough time to reset reward pathways. That also corresponds with my clinical experience. What I always warn patients about is that those first two weeks are going to be really awful. Why? Because they will stop using their drug and their balance will tilt to the side of pain and they'll be in withdrawal. But if they can just wait it out and get to weeks three and weeks four, uh, they will find that they're in a place where they're beginning to be able to get perspective and enjoy things again. And any of them will report feeling much, much better than they have in a really long time. So a couple footnotes here. This is not an intervention that I would recommend to somebody who might go into life-threatening withdrawal from alcohol or benzodiazepines. Obviously that individual needs medical monitoring. This is also not an intervention I would recommend with somebody with a severe addiction who has tried repeatedly to stop on their own and has been unable to. Again, that individual needs more support, needs more help, needs a higher level of care. But for individuals with mild to moderate addictions, or even many of us who are sort of on the pre-addiction spectrum, engaging in the kind of compulsive overconsumption, but not yet tipped over to addiction, this can be a very useful intervention. 
Ayana, so that was fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. You've covered a lot of ground there in a very short space of time. So, so well done. You're welcome. Um, okay, Ben, yeah. where can we learn more about the correlation between socioeconomic status and depression suicide rate? Ben, you can, um, not to, to be a plug, I can't remember the exact references, but if you read my book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence, I list a whole bunch of references there that talk about, um, it's very clear, for example, the, there's a global happiness survey that was done showing that uh, you know uh, people in rich nations like the United States, New Zealand, European nations were, are less, were less happy in 2018 than they were in 2008. There are other um, survey studies looking at rates of uh, generalized anxiety disorder, rates of depression, all of which clearly correlate, all of which are rising across the world and clearly cor correlate with socioeconomic status. So ch check out Dopamine Nation. Perfect. And then I think I had a second question in the chat that had to do with um, uh, when you're in your clinical practice and you're asking people to um, abstain from a, uh, like a compulsion or some activity that's addictive um, for 30 days, uh, what do you kind of do to um, motivate these people to be able to stick to something like that? Oh, great. Yeah. So the, you know, what I do is I talk about it as an experiment and, and people are coming in to see me because something's not right in their lives, right? For young people like you, it's often just that their parents breathing down their throat because they're smoking pot every day or something like that, playing video games longer than their parents want them to. So maybe the problem for that individual is just my parents are, you know, are, won't, won't get off my, my back. But what I, but very often it's things like depression, anxiety, insomnia, inability to concentrate, or just being unhappy. So what I say is I say, you know, this is an experiment. Like nobody's got, you know, a corner on all the answers, but clearly something's not working for you. Why don't you try this and see what you think? And the really exciting thing about this, Ben, is that for the vast majority of people, if they can make it to 30 days, they feel better. And because they feel better, I don't have to motivate them anymore. The motivation comes from inside because they've done their own experiment and they've seen that it works and now they're motivated. And most of the time folks will want to go back to using whatever their drug of choice is, but they want to use differently. They want to use less. They want to use in a way that they feel they have control over it and they're not being controlled. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So one anonymous attendee says, what is the effect of antidepressants such as venlafaxine on dopamine deficit? So this is a really good question. And I do talk about this in my book. I want to first emphasize that, you know, as a psychiatrist, I prescribe antidepressants every clinic day. And I think they can be absolutely life-saving in some cases. However, from a neurobiological point of view, essentially what antidepressants are doing, usually mediated through serotonin, are ultimately pressing on this pleasure side of the balance. So you could theorize that with long-term use of antidepressants, you might actually develop gremlins on the pain side, i.e. develop tolerance. And even, could they even cause people long run to be depressed? There are some papers suggesting that this is a possibility. Um, there's not a lot of evidence for this. There, there is also some evidence that they stop working over time, which is also this phenomenon of neuroadaptation. But I can name two other uh, sort of psychotropics where there's clear uh, adverse effects if used daily over a long period of time. The first one is benzodiazepine. So it seems like Xanax, Valium, Clonopin. Many people take that for anxiety and insomnia. I can tell you within a very short amount of time, you will end up in a dopamine deficit state and 
you will have gremlins on the pain side of your balance and you will have worse anxiety, worse insomnia. But here's the thing, when people are on benzos and then they get into that dopamine deficit state and they take the benzo, it feels like it's working because at least temporarily, they're out of the dopamine deficit state and their balance is you know, um, homeostatic. But actually what they're doing is perpetuating and exacerbating the, uh, the anxiety state because they're just getting more gremlins because as soon as that wears off. So the key is there, I have to te teach my patients, I know it feels like when you take a Xanax, it's relieving your anxiety, but all it's probably doing at this point is treating withdrawal from your last dose. So we have to get you off for long enough to reset reward pathways so that you're not constantly, you know, in this state of really progressive anxiety and medicating withdrawal. Same thing with opioids. So we thought here in the United States, oh, we could cure our chronic pain problems by just like giving patients more opioids. And what we've seen is that the higher the dose and the longer the patients are on opioids, the more pain they have. And that when we get them off of opioids, their pain actually gets better. Now, is it a long, hard road to get off of opioids? Definitely. Do you have more pain as you're tapering? For sure, because like I said, the gremlins, but ultimately by stopping for long enough, the gremlins get off and homeostasis is restored. I wanna address one other quick thing uh, in the, and that was anonymous. Do you ever find that addictions get replaced by other addictions rather than going away altogether? For example, stop overeating and start smoking. Absolutely, we have a name for it. It's called cross addiction. We see it in animal experiments. We see it in humans. So it's very an important point that when you do this 30 day dopamine fast, don't just replace your one drug with another drug. Also, because any kind of priming of that reward pathway might trigger craving, you might wanna stop multiple drugs at once. You don't have to, but for example, if you find that every time you uh, drink coffee that gives you craving to smoke a cigarette, you might think about doing your 30 day fast where you have no coffee and no cigarettes. And that might actually then be easy for you. And they're easier to do both than to do one or the other. And there are data showing that when people quit drinking and smoking at the same time, they have better outcomes. for. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Right. Well, um, that's, that's all I've got time for. Um, Anna, that was a fantastic session. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Great questions. I appreciate all the gratitude in the chat and I'm glad it was helpful. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. And yeah, Anna's book, Dopamine Nation, um, you can get it. Amazon, all the usual places. And any other final requests for people to check out online or anything, anywhere you'd like to send people? Uh, nope, this is good. Okay. Okay. All cool. right. Thanks, Niall. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to hear the full version, you can do so with the Weekend University Premium Membership. This gets you access to your master library of over 230 talks and interviews with the world's leading psychologists, professors, and authors, as well as transcripts, CPD certification, quizzes, and unlimited access to the recordings from our annual conferences. For more information, please go to theweekenduniversity.com forward slash membership.